It is the Chicagoverse podcast on the Dynasty Podcast Network, featuring interviews with Chicago's premier artists in industry and creatives and culture leaders. Hosted by Haima Black, welcome to Chicago. It is Dynasty Podcasts. My name is Haima Black. Today, I've got a special interview with Joe Principe of Rise Against, recorded in June of 2021. Parts of this interview made it into my Rise Against cover story for Illinois Entertainer in July of this year, but the whole interview has not been heard until now. Enjoy. Let's kind of start, you know, going back just a minute, like before we get to the record, how was the pandemic year for you personally, professionally? Like, you know, what, what's your mindset been like for this last kind of year and change? It, it was crazy because when this started happening, I was like, oh, it's going to be one or two months. It's going to be three months. And then I realized like it was like I like I wouldn't accept it. So like I just slowly started hitting me like a snowball kind of effect that this was definitely going to be for the long haul. And then I was like, well, shit, we can't do anything until there's a vaccine. And that might be five years from now because I had. I had a lot of my buddies at our doctors say like, it's going to be unheard of to, to have a vaccine in two years. You know, it, it's never been done. So I was thinking, all right, what do I do? Career change? Do I work at Target? <laughs> like, what do I do? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I just got off the off the phone, you know, off Zoom with Tim a few minutes ago, and he was yeah. talking about the fact that he went back to college during the the last year. Because, yeah, it's like he said, you guys had the record basically more or less done by the time the pandemic started. So, you know, one of the things he and I talked about is just how unconventional it was because of how Rise Against has just been on sort of like, you know, the word he used is treadmill, you know, write, record, tour, write, record, tour for really two, two decades plus, like, you know, so I don't know, was it weird to have that time off? Did you enjoy it? Or were you just like, I kind of can't wait to get back out on the road? I was like, I hate to admit it, but I was, one, I was glad I was there for my children to, to weather like the e-learning storm, like uh, not not an easy uh, task for, for anyone involved, like the kids, myself, my wife. But I was definitely panicking, like, because I had never, I've never been off at home this long, probably since high school or like before I started, you know, before 88 Fingers Louis started touring. Like that was probably the last time I was home this long. And um, it was like unnerving. Like I didn't have a purpose or I felt like I didn't have a purpose. I was like walking around my house, pacing, kind of stressing everyone out because I was exuding stress. <laughs> like my wife was like, you need to calm down. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I can imagine the restlessness because, yeah, it's just been it's been go, 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 go for pretty much your entire adult life. Going back to those early punk days in Chicago in the 90s before Rise Against or in the early days of Rise Against, did you ever imagine that a band that you founded would have their own day recognized by the mayor of the city? No way. Insane. I still, it still doesn't seem real to me. It, it really hit home when, because I was, I got the email like, oh, they're going to do Rise Against Day June 4th. And I was like, that's cool. And then it didn't quite set in what that meant. And then I started running into people on my block, like people that have nothing to do with rock music, punk rock or anything, just older generation kind of grandmas and grandpas that read about it. And I was like, oh, shit, like this is like this is like a thing. Like I need, I need to like wrap my head around this. So yeah, it was I mean, what an honor, you know, like but now that now like the catch is like, so what do we do 
year after year, like to celebrate it. <laughs> like we have to come right. up with something good. <laughs> Is it a recurring holiday? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> something interesting outside of the record, and we're going to talk about the record, but you know, something interesting I saw you've been doing, you know, in the last couple months is these Vans Channel 66 broadcasts where you're featuring artists like the Ball Weevils and, and Brennan Kelly from Lawrence Arms, of course. Like what made you want to get involved in like a streaming broadcast kind of project like that? So, you know what? Um, I wouldn't, that wouldn't have even been on my radar. And Chuck, who manages House of Vans in Chicago, he's actually just on the marketing side of House of Vans in general. Cause he, we played House of Vans in New York and Chicago on the last record. And Chuck was kind of spearheading the project and kind of like in charge as, as far as like the van side goes. And Chuck was also the sound guy, coincidentally, for Wrigley side, which was the venue 88 Fingers Louie used to play in like the mid 90s. Oh, so wow. like I've no, yeah, like he like he's like, oh, I was the sound guy at Wrigley side. And I was like, oh, my God, like now I remember <laughs> like it all clicked, you know. So um, he just emailed me one day and he was like, hey, we're starting this thing because, you know, everyone needs an outlet, you know, because the pandemic and. Uh, we want you to be a part of it. You know, we, we want like a, a staple Chicago guy to, uh, to, and he basically said, he's like, you can do, he pitched it as a DJ set, but also was like, you can basically do whatever you want. So yeah, I had, I had, yeah, Brendan and Bo Evils and, and uh, Tim and I played on the last episode. So I think I have another episode coming up like the end of June, um, which will be my last one. And cause we start touring, you know, rise against us. And I might get back to it after that, but you know, I have this last show and, and there's like, there's one band I really want that I, I can't say who it is and I'm trying to convince them to do it. So hopefully it's, <laughs> hopefully there's a cool announcement coming soon. <laughs> yeah. Well, and something else you also recently did was this basis against racist project, which the yeah. name is kind of self-explanatory, but talk about being part of that. And uh, you know, it seems like a no brainer why you'd want to be involved, but you know, why did you get involved and what was that like? Yeah, like so Lynn, who plays bass in Bad Cop, Bad Cop, she kind of spearheaded this uh, charity, um, this idea. And, and so I think I was maybe the fourth or fifth shirt that they've done. And I saw like posts from um, Miguel from Teenage Bottle Rocket, like his shirt. And I was like, oh, that's a, such a great idea. You know, like I, I would be into that. And then literally like three days later, she she just randomly messaged me on Instagram. And she's like, hey, we want you to be you know, part of this. And I was like, fuck yes. Like I, I'm down. It's kind of like on my part, little effort for such a great cause and to raise awareness and, and some money to donate to black lives matter. I mean, it's like, a, yeah, you're right. It's like a no brainer. So I was definitely honored to do it. Like now they're, I think they have the bass player of like gorillas, like as their shirt, you know, like, so they're, they're up in the status level, you know, every time it seems like. <laughs> yeah, no, but it, it lines up so perfectly with the rise against kind of ethos. And something I, I talked about with Tim as well is like the fact that you guys have always had this very, you know, whether you want to use the word activist or, you know, just like very progressive, you know, whatever word you want to use for it, you know what I'm talking about. Rise Against has always had that spirit. Now that spirit's very prevalent, but like, were there times where over the years where it's like, it didn't really feel like there was as much awareness or maybe activism or energy around some of the things that Rise Against, of course, really, really cares about and, you know, is singing about? You know, I think at various times, I would imagine us as individuals notice 
like things like not maybe not being heard but i can't fault anyone for that like because there's a lot of information that comes at you just as a human in general and sometimes it's daunting to take on serious issues you know sometimes it's easier to turn a tv on and watch a tv show which is i'm guilty of doing that you know so i don't fault anyone for not you know maybe paying attention at, at what you know various times i also like to say like you know we try not to force feed anything on anyone you know it's all about presenting the facts uh, you know facts uh, issues that we believe in and then let people make up their own minds. I just, I don't want people to feel like we're preaching or, or uh, just feeling attacked by us. Cause I, I know like growing up, like sometimes I felt that way from even going to hardcore shows where a singer of a band was extra preachy and it just turned me off. Like I did, I never wanted to be that. So, but at the same time, it's not realistic to think that everyone's going to listen and agree with everything you say throughout the last 20 years, you know, like, but there is a song about that on the new record, talking to ourselves. Well, and, and that was kind of one of the things I was thinking about is the fact that initially I thought that song might have been about the isolation we were all in during this last year from the pandemic. But Tim was telling me that, you know, the record was already pretty written and recorded before the pandemic hit. So that song, I feel like almost kind of takes on like a kind of maybe unintentional second meaning there. Yeah, Absolutely. A lot of this record does like, like, it's like, it's like Tim's like a, like a prophet or something. Like it was, it was, it's definitely eerie, you know, like the fact that a lot of these songs were written, uh, yeah, pre, pre pandemic. Well, and two songs that, I mean, there's a lot of songs that stand out, but two songs that I feel like really stood out, uh, of course, the title track, No Regeneration and the numbers, those I think really feel like for lack of a better term, they're almost like a mission statement for Rise Against. I feel like, like they, it seems yeah. to me like those two songs really as much as anything you guys have written and released like encapsulate the spirit of rise against do you feel that or, or are there certain songs where you're like if i had to give someone an elevator pitch of rise against this is what i'd send them no i i think your your statement is very accurate it's like being a band for 20 years it is it's like it's like the it sums up this legacy that we've created in 2000 or 2021 you know it it, it is kind of like Basically, what I'm trying to say is when we wrote the music for those songs, I never know which direction Tim's going to go in. I kind of I kind of can if I write a song, I kind of can tell the direction that he might go take it into. Um, but when I heard that song, especially the numbers, I was like, wow, like this is the summary. If you looked up yeah, Rise Against Summary, like this is fucking it. Like this is the song I want. I want the youth to hear that song. I want the youth to hear No More Generation. I was proud to play it for my kids, you know, like it, it's like like your voice is powerful, like speak, speak up. <laughs> well, especially with that lyric video, it's like a combination performance lyric video you guys did for the numbers. Yeah. Like that, you know, let's say you're playing live in front of a big crowd and that's on the screen behind you guys. Like that's going to be a powerful moment, I feel like. Absolutely. And there, there's something there was something emotional just about the chord progressions in the song without Tim singing. And then when he started singing, it was like, it almost got me like, like teary eyed a little bit. Cause I was like, wow, like it was so it was really powerful. And that, that's a song. It's interesting. Cause when we're in the studio, sometimes I don't hear finished vocals until I'm singing backing vocals, at least on songs that I wrote. Cause Tim, you know, just by nature, Tim will finish songs he writes first because he's writing them. And then the songs I bring in, they're always last. And so I remember doing backing vocals and Bill Stevenson, our producer is like, all right, like, here's 
the working title for the numbers was flood. He goes, here's flood. Tell me like what you think, what, what you, what ideas do you have for backing vocals? And I remember like, I didn't have anything cause I was so blown away by what he was singing about and the, the, the emotion behind it. Like, I was like, wow. Like, and it's, it's great to, to have that energy being a band for so long. And, and, you know, we're all, we're in our forties. We're definitely not getting younger, but it's nice to have that, that intensity and energy, like it, to remain intact. Well, and that's something I think that is worth exploring for a minute. It's like the relationship between you and Tim just in the studio writing, recording. It's like you guys have, have obviously worked together for so long now. Like, does that relationship still evolve or is it something where like you don't even have to say anything and you both know like, OK, we're doing X, Y and Z. We're both in sync on this. We don't even really need to discuss it. There's no discussion. It's definitely like an unspoken language. You know, over over 20 years with like any relationship, you, you'll argue about the, the dumbest things, you know, like, but when it comes down to songwriting, it's, I feel like we're always on the same page. Even when we were writing this record, it was just, just Tim and I met up uh, without the other guys, like just to get ideas, like, like straightened out just to kind of iron out all, all the details. So we weren't wasting the other guy's time uh, with bad ideas. But Bill Stevenson was with us at the studio and Tim was showing me, actually, I think it was Nowhere Generation. And without him showing me what the bridge was, I knew what note he was going to go to. Like, I knew in my head. <laughs> and Bill's like, hey, he goes, have you heard this song before? I'm like, no. He goes, how do you know that? I'm like, because we've been playing in a band for 20 years together. Like, we we just know each other really well. I think that's why it works so well. Like, you know, that's why we're still at least in my mind, that's why we're still relevant, you know, musically, like I, I, we don't, there's no conflicts, you know, which is rare, you know, for, you know, for anyone to be in any kind of, I think, creative endeavor for a long time. And it's like, you're touring and I imagine nicer buses now than you were 20 years ago, but it's like, it's still really close quarters with somebody. And it's like, you have to really be able to weather the storm that comes with just being, I would imagine in close proximity to people for a, pretty long amount of time on the road and everything and in the oh, studio and i'm i'm admittedly hard to live with i'm very stubborn <laughs> i'm italian so i'm really stubborn you know like set my ways and uh you know i feel like with like with anybody the older you get those things really like poke poke through more and more every year but i i do feel like we're also a family so we are able to weather the like little arguments here and there you know they don't mean anything at the end of the day it's like it's just stupid bullshit but once we hit the stage there's nothing like it you know like we've all dipped into other projects over the years you know i played in a few other bands like with derek from alkaline trio i was in that hardcore band dead ending and that was fun but there's nothing like hitting the stage with rise again so that's like my family you know well, and, you know, going back a minute, you uh, on your Instagram, you marked the 20th anniversary recently of the unraveling 18th yeah. anniversary of revolutions per minute, you know, both in the last couple months. How does it feel to be that far away from those early milestones for the band? Does it feel like like in my mind, when I look at you and Tim, I can kind of think like it doesn't seem like that long ago that like me and you and Chris Payne and everybody like we were at Q101. But that was a yeah. long time ago. So how does it yeah. feel to look back at those records and, and think like, that was not as recent as I might think in my mind's eye. It it's hard for me to put a real a real life timeline on it because you're right. Like like so in my head, everything happened yesterday. <laughs> like like anything. Like um, 
so I always I, like if we're writing a set list, I'm like, oh, we should play us this song from the unraveling. And then like, I, I remember like at one point it hit me like, oh, like the percentage of kids that might know this song is probably 10% of our audience, maybe. But at the same time, you want to, you want to represent your full catalog, you know, and, and you want to play for all your fans, not just a percentage of fans or, you know, even the majority of fans, but um, it doesn't seem real. Like the time that went by like 20 years ago, even stuff I did like with 88 fingers, Louie, like that seems like a week ago. And it's like, Oh my God. <laughs> like, like it also occurred to me during this pandemic, I've been going to shows like punk rock shows since 1989. <laughs> like, yeah, that is, that is insane, but well, it doesn't e seem like it. <laughs> you know, even just kind of like pull the curtain back for a second. It's like when I was of course, working with my editor at Illinois entertainer and, and, you know, your guys team behind the scenes, you know, I was like, Hey, I'm really excited to talk to the guys. You know, I go back with them and I did the math and I'm like, Oh my God, I started talking to these guys like in like 2003. It's like a long ass time ago. hundred percent. You mentioned uh, Bill Stevenson a, a minute ago, and this is, I think like the sixth or, or maybe the seventh time, something like that, where, you know, yeah. rise against recording at the blasting room with Bill Stevenson and Jason Livermore producing the records. Like, what is it about that location, that team where you keep going back there and, and keep trusting them to, you know, produce the rise against end result. I think one, the location, the fact that we're not in LA or Chicago, which is those cities are full of distractions sure. <laughs> for us. We don't want outside distractions, meaning like, you know, even people visiting from the record labels always invited, but if you're in Colorado, they're less likely to show up, you know, as like, you know, as frequently as they would in LA great people. But at the same time, like we just like to keep the doors closed and focus on what we're doing. I think with Bill and Jason, they're so in tune to what, how we write to what the sound of the band should be, but also having the knowledge or also knowing that we need to keep progressing as a band as well. So they know we shouldn't like, we wouldn't write a funk record. And if we tried, they would be the first two guys to be like, what are you guys doing? Like, <laughs> like, like you're nuts. And Bill and Jason, they both, you know, Bill coming from black flag and descendants. It's like what better producer to have the guy that started pop punk basically. And a guy that was in the best American hardcore band ever, you know, Black Flag. And Jason also has the same kind of background and they're both drummers. Like they, they've kind of learned or they, they taught us the value of drums and how they can influence vocals and with cymbal hits and just little, these little nuances that get lost. Bill and Jason make sure they just make sure they don't get lost, you know. And I do feel like that's the biggest difference with Siren Song of the Counterculture, which we went to Garth Richardson for, and Wolves with Nick Raskulinex. Those little nuances got a little lost because we didn't have Bill to like kind of crack the whip and be like, you guys have to acknowledge like this guy's playing this, so you have to play this to make sure it's smooth, you know. Um, and that's not to say those records are bad, it's just they're just different. And we just we we prefer the uh, the attention to detail that Bill and Jason like give us. Well, you mentioned a second ago that like you know Rise Against couldn't write like let's say a funk record, which I don't know maybe you could maybe you couldn't. But you know I did talk with Tim about the fact that you know Rise Against has never been shy about dabbling in you know whether you want to use the word ballad or something that's just a little bit more like kind of lush and introspective or, or whatever you know what I'm talking about like yeah. Know, 
Swing Life Away and, and Ghost Note Symphonies. Like, what's your, do you like working on those songs or are you like, are you the guy who's like, I just want it like loud, hard, fast, you know, like what's your thought on, on doing the kind of softer or more introspective side of Rise Against? Well, it, it's interesting because I'm always the guy pushing to play fast and like typically I write, you know, faster, more aggressive songs, but that's not always the case. Like, I think in my head, I, I made up my own kind of Joe reality with Rise Against where like, oh, it's always got to be fast punk rock. But at the same time, I'm also the guy that wrote Long Forgotten Sons and Like the Angel and Blood to Bleed, you know, like, so like, I remember Bill actually pointed that out. He's like, he's like, you realize like, you're also all over the map with like songwriting. And I also attribute the acoustic side of Rise Against, I mean, it definitely harkens back to folk music and which is real protest music. I embrace it. Like, I love the fact that we can do ballads and we can do metal songs and pop songs like like talking to ourselves or uh, or punk songs like the numbers, you know, like I, I love that. I think if we did one style, it would just get boring after 20 years, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, how are you feeling about the fact that you guys get to get back out on the road again? this summer, at least here in the States in a couple of weeks. Oh, it is. It's such a relief. And there's so much excitement building around it from us as band members, from, from me as just a bass player, <laughs> like I'm just, I can't wait to get on stage and what better way to celebrate the, uh, the return of live music than to do it with Bill Stevenson and, and the descendants, like one of our favorite bands and the Menzingers of course are amazing. But uh, to, to have Bill out there with us really, really makes it so special. Well, and the tour ends in Chicago, which I'm sure is, of course, not a coincidence. So, you know, what are you looking forward to about getting to, you know, close this run in Chicago and being on stage in the city again in front of, I'm sure, a lot of people that you know and love? I just I look forward to it because it's like, yeah, it's the big triumphant end of the race, you know, like it, it, so to celebrate that in our hometown there's nothing like playing Chicago for us and um, to do it in probably one of my favorite venues in the city, like on the lake, you know, Northerly mm -hmm. Island. Right. Um, it, I mean, it, it, there's nothing, there's nothing like it, providing it doesn't rain, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I, I, I love playing that venue and uh, I'm really looking forward to having like not only our friends, but just having our, our families like come out and see, like we worked on this record. We had to shelf the record for a little bit. All of our families, meaning our wives, our kids saw like what, how the effect that had on us. So the fact that they can watch us play these songs live and let out that, you know, like pent up energy and frustration we bottled up the last year and a half. Like, like I'm really looking forward to, to that. Like having my kids watch us and stuff. After this kind of two and a, you know, two, two and a half decade run of just, you know, like we were saying, like write, record, release tour you know repeat do you see yourself and or the band maybe taking a bit more time to pause between projects or are you just like i'm just ready to get back into the swing of things full time i could speak for myself i'm ready i mean we spent this last year sitting at home so i, I definitely have like 15 or 20 <laughs> new new rise again songs that are waiting to be showing to the rest of the guys. I'm sure Tim has, you know, the same, but you know, I, I don't know. I, I think that um, taking this much time off was unnerving, if anything, more for like who I am as a person, you know? And uh, it was nice to be home with our, with our, with our kids, our families, but 
this is kind of who we are. You know, we were, we're so used to being out on the road and playing for our fans. You know, I think if you take too much time off, you, you kind of kill the momentum. And especially nowadays, I feel like, you know, fans are a little bit more, I don't want to say fickle, but people kind of their attention spans are so much getting thrown at them with social media. So you kind of have to stay like in their face a little bit more than you did like 20 years ago. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Like final thing I'll say is like, you look at some of the modern pop stars and if they take two years between a new record, the media is just like, how long will this wait be? Yeah. And I think about like, you know, the <laughs> five or six years between like nine inch nails, downward spiral and the fragile, you know? And I'm just like, what are you talking about, man? This is like, it's just a constant churn now. Yeah. Yeah, ex exactly. And I think, I think at the end of the day, it should be quality over quantity, but we we just have always been that band that are constantly writing songs. Even if we're on tour, we're still picking up guitars and writing backstage, you know, it's just an outlet. It's a release. Like I have, uh, cause I'm not a very vocal person. So like, that's my, that's my release. Yeah, man. It's who you guys are. This is great. Always a pleasure, man. This is, it's always fun and easy to chat with you and Tim. So always, always, always appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you. You've been listening to a production of dynasty podcasts. Find more Dynasty Podcasts at DynastyPodcast.com. For the Dynamic Dynasty, Dynasty Descend.